That's so funny. So uh, we're so glad you're able to join us this morning. Very thankful that you're able to be here. Grad Sunday, I say this every year, but I love Grad Sunday. And the reason I love Grad Sunday is just the immense amount of effort that students put into getting to that place. And most of us who have graduated a while ago, it, it kind of becomes foggy. We almost kind of forget about it. But like in the moment, you know, of that graduating time, it's like, wow, you've put a lot of work to get here. And some love to celebrate because it's like, oh, there's so much work has gone into this. And others are like, I'm so done because I put so much into this. And so it's just a time where we can kind of come alongside and, and really honor and celebrate our grads. And then the parents as well. I was <laughs> thinking last night, I was like, I should get gifts for the grad parents because they have put blood, sweat, and tears into this moment, right? Like, uh, and so just a time just of celebrating with all of you. And so we'll have a little barbecue after with the graduating families and we're excited with that. And as I was preparing the message for today, I kind of struggled, to be honest, because I had this message in my heart that I wanted to share, but it didn't seem like, it didn't seem like the right time because Grad Sunday is kind of like, you know, rah, rah, you can do it and like, you know, follow after God and he'll, you know, lead you into some, some great places and go be what God wants you to be. And, and this message is just a little bit um, harder than that, I guess. And, and so I struggled for a while and kind of flopped back and forth on some things and eventually settled here. Um, but ultimately, today, I want to make one statement for you to remember. And I, it's a really important statement that is not only important for everybody here, but especially for our grads. It's this. It is important if not vital, non-negotiable, for a Christian to be involved with a group of believers. It is vital for a Christian to be involved with the church. And I know a bunch of you are thinking, well, duh. <laughs> that wasn't so hard. But we live in a time where it's so easy for people to say, oh, I, I, I appreciate Christianity. I just don't like organized religion. Oh, I, I like the Bible. I like the teachings in the, in the Bible, you know, but, but I just don't like Bible followers. I love Jesus, actually, but I just don't love the church or the people in the church. And then we also live in a time where anybody who feels that way, it becomes so easy for them to have sort of a church experience at home, right? Like you can download a sermon from the best preachers in the world, the most charismatic speakers and people who are solid in their biblical understanding. You can just go on YouTube and find that. All the greatest, you know, worship songs, you can, whatever, you, whatever you're into, you can find it. And you can get these great books and materials. The internet's full of stuff. You can grow spiritually in your understanding and your knowledge of the Bible. You can do all of that without being part of a local group of believers because of the access to the information now. And we know from research for young people, there are distinct moments for children and youth where they start leaving the church and they leave in bigger gaps than other years. And those years are grade 6, grade 6 to grade 7, grade 8 to grade 9, and then grade 12. And each of those periods, you see a drop-off of students in grade 6. It's bigger. There's more students dropping off in grade 8, grade 9, and then there's more in grade 12 that leave the church and don't come back. And we see those numbers, and it makes sense because as a kid grows, they get more autonomy in how they, like, you know, if they're coming to church or not with their parents. 
So they get to kind of make more decisions because they're becoming more uh, of an adult as they grow. And so you see those kind of things getting larger. And in reality, we cannot assume that everyone is on the same page when it comes to saying what church is like and what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like to be the church. And so this past year at youth, we talked through the book of Acts. And we studied through, can I get out my water? Please, sorry. Um, and we studied through the book of Acts and we looked at specifically what the early church, thank you, uh, what the early church looked like and how the early church actually got started. And so as we were looking through that, we looked at kind of the major events in the book of Acts and watched kind of how the church formed. So right from the beginning, when Jesus ascends up to heaven, he tells the disciples, he says, wait for me here. And I'll send the Holy Spirit. So they start waiting, but they don't really know what they're waiting for, but they're growing in that moment, in that period of time. And then Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes in these tongues of fire. It's very miraculous. It's amazing. And people are speaking in tongues. It's incredible. 3,000 people join, join their number that day in that one location, and it's incredible. But then from there, these believers in Jesus are now like on fire for the Lord, and they just start sharing this gospel with everybody who will listen. And people start joining the church like crazy. And it's going wonderfully up until the Pharisees want to do something more. And the, and, and the leaders at the time, they want to do something more. And so they start persecuting the church. And you see this persecution led by Saul, uh, who is one of the major aggravators in the, in the persecution of the church. And you see the first Christian die in Acts chapter 5. So that's the first Christian martyr of stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 5. And what this does is it actually creates a great fear for all the believers because things have just gotten extremely serious. And so they actually flee. They leave Jerusalem. They, they head out to all, basically any part of the known world. They go out. And instead of squishing Christianity, this actually is kind of like a fire that you're trying to stomp out and sparks go everywhere and start new fires. It's kind of more like that because all of these little people that go out, or sorry, all these people go out, start these little groups of believers because they're just sharing the gospel. They're sharing what they know. And so it starts all these little groups of believers. Well, one of these groups of believers in Antioch actually starts to get quite big, and they start to get quite uh, loud about their faith. And it get, news gets back to Jerusalem, and the apostles hear this, but they go, but this is started by these people. We're not really sure if they really understand the gospel. We're not sure if they really are Christians. So they send Barnabas to go. But before that happens... Paul, or sorry, Saul, who's been persecuting Christians, encounters Jesus. He becomes a Christian. Major event, right? So he becomes a Christian. He's no longer persecuting Christians. Uh, it's radical life change for him. So what he does is he goes home. He goes back to Tarsus, where he's from, because uh, he's like just his whole world's been flipped upside down. So he goes back to Tarsus. So all of this church stuff happens. Barnabas makes his way to this Antioch church, sees that they really are, they really do get it. Uh, and he teaches them a bit, but he realizes that he doesn't know a whole lot himself and, and he needs somebody who knows the scriptures. And so he actually goes to Tarsus and gets Saul and then brings Paul, or sorry, Paul, Saul, Paul, uh, brings Paul back from Tarsus to preach the gospel and to teach the scriptures. And that begins Paul's missionary journey through there. And so we followed all of these things, all of these things. It was an excellent, excellent study. I highly recommend that you just read through the book of Acts and just appreciate the people of God in there. And so this morning, there's some important things that stood out that we're going to look at um, this morning. And the first thing is that it's important to define our terms because the word church 
Every time you see the word church in Scripture, it comes from the word, it's translated from the Greek word ecclesia. And the Greek word ecclesia simply means a gathering of people that have been called out for some reason. Any gathering of people that have been called out for some reason, the word is ecclesia. And then in your scriptures, you see that translated as church. Except for a few places. Acts chapter 19, you see the same word in the, in the Greek. You see ecclesia. When a mob of people get together to try to mob the Christians, they're against the Christians that are there. And they all come out, they gather together, and it's called an ecclesia. The exact same word that we translate as church. Except in your scriptures, it'll translate it as gathering. So some places the word is translated gathering, but when it refers to Christians, it's translated as church. But it's the same word in the Greek. And what this tells us is a very important point, that going to church has nothing to do with a building. Like this building, and we say, oh, I'm going to the church this evening, or I'm going to church on Sunday morning, or I'm going, you know, it's got nothing to do with the building. It's everything to do with people, because the church is people, not a building, not a place. And that's very, very important. Nowhere in Scripture does it refer to church as a building. So, the question going back, can somebody be a Christian and not be part of a local group of believers, not be part of the church? Well, no, and yes. So let me explain. So as a believer, you are called out to be part of the family of God. And in being called out to be part of the family of God, you are part of the church. You are part of a global family of believers because you have been called out, separated, and now you're part of a group of believers. You just kind of are by default as a, as a true, and I'm talking true believers, people who really believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again for the forgiveness of their sins, and they've put their trust in him uh, for their salvation. If they believe that gospel, that one true gospel, and they're a true Christian, essentially they're part of the global church just like that. They're part of the family of God. And so you can think about, like, do they need to be part of a local group of believers? Well, technically not. I mean, you look at Paul, you look at his life, he was in prison for years like, at a time, consecutively, did he stop being a Christian because he couldn't gather? No, of course he was a Christian, right? Even though he was in prison for a time. Uh, we just went through a weird time, like, as a, as a world, right, where we were isolated and, and weren't able to gather for periods of time. Were we still Christians? Yes, absolutely, of course we were. But Paul, the same guy who was in prison and separated from his family of believers, is the same guy that emphasizes the importance of being together. In fact, all through the New Testament, you see this highlighted and stressed. In fact, it instructs and assumes that called out believers are meeting together and loving one another. In fact, that idea to love one another is actually like one of the primary purposes of the church. In the book of John, the phrase love one another occurs 16 times one of them I print, uh, we've had printed on the back of your, your bulletin there. It's John 13, 34. It's fantastic. It says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give to you. First of all, that should make you go, wait, what? This is a new commandment. This is not, not something old that he said. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this 
all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now consider what that means. This is not a commandment to say the church, you need to be a loving people. That you need to like go into the world and love your neighbor and spread the gospel. That is not what this verse is saying. This verse is two disciples. And he says, love one another. He's talking about disciples loving disciples. He's talking about the church loving the church. Christians loving Christians in this verse. This is the new command. It says, you love each other. And you love each other like at Sturgeon Valley. You love each other with such a love that's so incredible that the world will see you loving each other. And they'll go, wow. Look how they love one another. Why do they care so much for each other? Why are they taking so much care of one another? And they go, how do I get on on that? I mean, that's the kind of love. Our love for one another is our apologetic to the world. It's how they will know we are followers of Jesus is by how we love one another. Not how we love the world, how we love one another. That's the command here. And now there's a whole discussion to be had about, okay, well, if we love one another, how does the world see that? And there's a whole, you know, discussion that we should be having about, about, you know, how do we take this love and put it in a framework that the world can see us? Because 2022 North America is very different than probably here. And so that's probably, that, you know, take that discussion to your lunch today, you know, as you're sitting for lunch or inviting people over for lunch. Talk about that. How do we let this love be seen by the world? You know, do we invite people in or do we take it out somewhere? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? Because that's a really good discussion. But today's point is that as followers of the way, we have to love one another. Because Christ commands it. But in order to do this, in order to follow this command, you have to show up. Because you can't love other people if you're not around other people. It makes sense. You can't love the church if you don't ever gather with the church. And this goes beyond just meeting on a Sunday morning. Like, this is, this is great. So Sunday morning, I'm not dissing Sunday morning. Sunday morning's great. This is a time where we can come together, we can be together, we can practice communion together, uh, we can study the word together, or we can rejoice together, we can celebrate together. All of these things, these are reasons. We do this for biblical reasons. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and that word devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So Sunday, Sunday mornings are, are wonderful and super important. But being the church is not just about four Sundays a month, maybe five. It's about so much more than that. And as Christians... As Christians, you're part of that family of God. You know what I said? Like you're part of that global group of believers. You're part of something so much larger than yourself. And that's incredible. Like if, if, if you go anywhere in the world, you will meet people, brothers and sisters in Christ, that you instantly have a connection with. And the thing I think about like, was like, I had a friend in high school who rode a motorcycle. And as he'd ride his motorcycle, every time he passed another motorcycle, he'd like wave and they'd wave at each other like they... Like they knew each other or something. Like, hey. And you see like Jeep owners do the same thing too. Like Jeep, if you own a Jeep, you're like, hey. And, and, and uh, you know, if you're a Harley guy, you wave at each other. Like, so you see these like some sort of weird connection that people have just by owning the same thing. Uh, and it's pretty cool. But the church is like that, but, but more so, right? Like, if you go to, like when we go to Honduras, we're greeted by brothers and sisters. 
If we go to St. Albert Alliance, we're greeted by brothers and sisters. This is just part of what it means to be the family of God. And, and as you're digging into a local group of believers, where you're actually getting to spend time with one another and get to, getting to like really experience this, this like being together helps you grow and be a more well-rounded person. Right? You get to test your ideas with one another. You get to develop spiritually and socially and mentally, emotionally, because we challenge each other here. We talk about meaningful things. We talk about deep things, hard topics. You know, we're not just talking surface things all the time because the scriptures talk about these things. We have an intergenerational experience, which is just so life-giving. We love to sharpen one another. We love to pray with one another. And we grow to be more and more like Jesus, just like iron sharpening iron. We serve together. And families and individuals who help each other help others. Because collectively, we can serve and accomplish more as a family, as a group of believers, when there's more of us. And that's amazing. Families who serve together are stronger together. They have stronger relationship bonds. Serving others is good for you as an individual. It's good for your soul and your personal growth. And it's so life-giving to be part of something so much bigger than yourself. And there's also so many opportunities being part of a church to use your gifts and your talents and abilities. This is, this is using who God created you to be. And you have opportunity to live that out when you're part of a local group of believers. It's so healthy and so wonderful. But it's also being part of a, a group of Christians. I mean, this is something that can help you in your daily struggle with sin. Because when you're trying to deal with your own weaknesses and your own struggles and your own failures and you're doing that on your own, it's so hard. But doing that with a community, it can be so much easier. And we know these things are true, but doing it together is just so much easier to set you free, to stop living in the lies and the bondage of your sin. So we want to be together. And, and all, so all of these reasons, but to experience any of those things... You have to show up. You have to be intentional about being part of, a, of a, a group of believers. You have to be part of what God is doing around you. And it's not always easy to be a part of that. Because here's another reality. Families in 2022 typically just want to be at home with their own families. And we just want to hunker down and do our own thing. Because people are a lot of work. People are hard. People have baggage and, and it's difficult and, you know, hosting or, or being somewhere or being out all the time. And, you know, all of these things, these people are hard. But they're worth it. You know, Paul says in Galatians, he longs for heaven. He can't wait to be in heaven. And he says, I'm so excited to be in heaven, but, but I know that people here need the kingdom of God. I know that people here need the true gospel. And so I'll stay here and do the work you have for me, Lord, because people are worth it here. And so our attitudes need to shift and change to fit that understanding. Our hearts have to be others-focused. And again, I'm not just talking mission-minded. I'm not talking about people outside the church. I mean, within the church, for one another, we have to love each other. And we have to learn to be part of each other's lives in a meaningful way. Serving one another, building each other up, and caring for one another. And graduates, as you experience the transitions that are ahead of you, 
doesn't matter if you're going into, into you know, from grade 8 to grade 9 or, or, um, or sorry, grade, you know, grade 9 to, to grade 10 and uh, grade 12 and beyond or post-secondary. All of these things have these difficult moments and, and these difficult things that get in the way of that. And you need to be self-aware enough to recognize the dangers that exist that are going to pull you away from that. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of things, two things in particular. And so the first thing is a lack of relationships. Because it's hard to feel like you belong when you don't have any meaningful relationships around you. I'll never forget the story that Francis Chan told in a video of a, of a young man who became a Christian. He accepted the Lord. Somebody in his church shared the gospel with him. He became a Christian. But he was part of a gang. Radical life changing. Leaves the gang safely. Starts coming to church. He comes for a few months. But then he eventually stops coming. And Francis Chan says that he went to this young guy and said, Well, why was it? Like, why are you stopped coming? And is everything okay? And he says, Well, here's the thing. When I was part of the gang, the gang was like family. We did everything together. We lived life together. And we would die for one another. And I started coming to church, and I thought it was going to be like that. I didn't realize it was a club once a week on Sundays. Ouch. Being part of a church has to be all about relationships because church is people. Church is not a program. It's not a thing we do on Sundays. It's not a club. Church is people. You can't just go to church by showing up in the building. That doesn't count. It has to be relational. It has to be relationship-driven. This is why, like a youth group, we play games together. You know, we play games together. We have fun together. We experience life together. We laugh together. We have joy together. And then we get into God's Word together, and we talk about those meaningful things, and we pray for one another. But we can't get to that point, to getting to the really deep stuff with youth, because we have to get to know each other. We have to have fun together. We, we play games because we like it. We, we enjoy having fun. Relationships are so important. And unfortunately, churches uh, across the world and across North America become more about the Sunday morning experience. Good songs. Are the songs good enough? Are they the ones that I want to hear? Are they, is the preacher charismatic enough? Is the youth program really good enough? Are the kids' ministries really like taking my kids well enough? Is this, you know, am I being you know, taken care of? And then they don't do anything for the rest of the week. And these aspects, like I said, the aspects of gathering together on Sunday are so important and they're biblical. That's why we do them. But relationships are vital to that experience. When somebody else in our church is hurting, it, you should hurt. It should be like your own arm is being cut off when somebody's hurting. Or your own leg. Because we bear each other's burdens. We walk with one another. And we weep with those who are weeping. And we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. That's why we're doing the Grand Sunday. It's because it's so incredible to be able to celebrate with one another. And this is so good. Because it's about relationships. Of course, Jesus is center in that, but, but how we meet together, we care for one another. And what's happened is that like, people show up to churches and they expect to be served. They show up and they sit in a pew and they just wait for people to come to them. And they wait for people to come shake their hands because they're new. Or they wait and they, they, you know, they judge their church experience. So they sit up in the corner of the balconies or you know, wherever because they don't want to be seen or heard. And, and they wait. And then they leave the church and go, well, that church was no good because nobody shook my hand. 
But here's the thing, and graduates, this is important for you, especially as you graduate and maybe you'll be going to a different place, but it depends on you to serve and to love others in the church. It depends on you. You have to be the one to go out of your way to love other people. Whether you're at your own church or at a new church, it's up to you. Because all you can do is control yourself. You can't control what other people are doing. But as part of the church, it's up to you to put the effort in to reach out, to love people, to shake their hands, to get to know people, to stay for coffee after, whatever it is. Another reason that people leave the church is that they never really show up in the first place. I've been involved in youth ministry for over 20 years, and I've seen time and time again students who walk away from the church after they graduate who never showed up in the first place. Because how do you develop relationships if you don't show up? And you got to just show up once or twice. Like, you got to be involved and you got to make that concerted effort. This is a command, remember. This is part of how we exercise our Christianity. But students today are so busy. They're so busy with extracurricular activities. They're so busy with things that are going on. They're, they're homework loads. And, and students today are also burdened with anxiety and mental illness struggles. And they think the solution to that is to isolate themselves more, as if they think that's going to help. Students start working jobs, and they start, you know, like branching out, they get a job, and this is going good. But then their boss says, oh, you you need to be at work on Sunday. And for some reason, their boss's command to work on a Sunday trumps Jesus' command to be gathering with a local group of believers. There's a ton of different reasons that detract from students showing up. And as they get older and as they get through high school, they have more autonomy to decide for themselves, is this something that I really want for myself? Am I really going to show up to a church gathering or not? And so it's not surprising that not showing up is a critical mistake because you can't love others. You can't use your gifts. You can't be loved. You can't belong if you don't show up. And this is true with every single age. This is true for all of us. Did you know, this is, this is just a side thing. Uh, they did a big report in uh, the same one where they, we saw the loss of students through the ages. Uh, that same report talks about, you know, there are three factors that, that helps, or sorry, that, that students who stayed in the church had in common. They all had these three things in, in common. But the one, one of them, was that their parents showed up, that they attended church and, sh- and attended church-type gatherings regularly, like more than 50% of the time kind of thing. And what was dramatic about this is that when you looked at the graph, you saw on one side, this was like parents who, who, seldom, um, parents who seldom attended, like every once in a while or once a month. Uh, the, the students who stayed, like those kids, was very few. Then there was a group who, of course, the parents were there all the time. Well, those kids tended to stay in church longer after they graduated. But what was really interesting to me was the group in the middle. You'd expect to, you know, if they showed up 50% of the time for it to be about 50%, right? But the group, the families who didn't make it a priority to attend all the time, but just like 
most of the, like half the time or more, uh, their kids were almost as small, the, the, the bar graph was almost as small as the, kid, the parents who never showed up at all. Like a halfway commitment almost doesn't seem to cut it. I'm not trying to call anybody out here. You know, I'm not trying to wag my finger in judgment on anybody. Because there, I know there's a lot of different reasons that people don't show up to church and can't show up to church. And students are adults, it doesn't matter. Everybody has reasons that get in the way of us putting more effort into this command of, of being the church. Our culture and our society even just grooms us to not really understand what this looks like. But the reason that it's not, I'm not trying to be judgmental, like, is because I totally get it. There's so many reasons and so many excuses we give ourselves and, and, and think justifications we have. But I think, ultimately, we all struggle with this. I struggle with it, too. Even though I'm a, I've been at this church for a long, since 1999 when I started coming, like, there are some days, like some weeks, you know, some weeks you're out like four or five nights a week at church things. It's like uh, the idea of, like, building relationships with people is, like, almost exhausting. And it's like, oh. Man, but you got to like work through that. And it's a struggle and I get it. And I know everybody's in their own place and has their own things. And everybody's reasons make sense to themselves, right? We all justify these things to not be involved more in our heads. But the thing is, we have to just strive for better. We just have to continue together on this journey to be more and more like Jesus, to be better fulfilling and living out this command of Jesus, to gather with one another, to be together as the church, as the body. And as a congregation, I think our church is pretty awesome. I'm super biased, but I, I think it's incredible just watching how people love one another. But we also can't be so naive to think that there aren't people who feel disconnected and feel like they don't belong, right? Like, there are probably some of you who are sitting here who go, God, don't really have meaningful relationships in the church. I maybe feel disconnected. And so we want to strive to do better because we, we see that there are also times in life where there are real reasons where you don't have much to give. Life might be just pounding you and you just can't. But then others come alongside you and they support you and help you with whatever you need, giving you space, giving you support, counsel, whatever it is. But I want all of us to have that level of support. I want all of you to experience the fullness of God's people because that kind of thing, when you're exhausted and you've got nothing to give socially, that's, a good t- that's part of, of the experience of, of being part of the body of Christ is when people come along you, alongside you and we can fully invest in getting to know one another in those other times. And we have to take initiative. Like I said, young people, the older you get, the more autonomy you have from your parents and the less intervention you have. And you have to start making those decisions for yourself that you are going to absolutely find a church and be part of it to be involved in more than just the Sunday morning gatherings, whether that's youth group or young adults ministry or, uh, or, or other Bible studies or just going for coffee with people. It doesn't really matter. Youth group isn't the penultimate gathering for youth, right? There are some youth that just would rather connect over a coffee with somebody. That's okay, but do something. Do lots of things connecting with other people in the church because you have to make your faith your own. 
You can't live your parents' faith forever. So take the steps to find a church to be a part of. If it's not Sturgeon Valley, just find a a Bible-centered group of believers to be a part of and to be involved with. But you have to choose to be obedient. That's up to you. Your parents can't choose for you anymore. And as a church family, for the rest of us, it's very easy for us to become complacent in our routines and our patterns that we find ourselves in. You know, many people are like, oh, you know, we've, we've served a lot in our life and I don't need to be involved right now. Or, you know, I did small groups once and now I not really don't need to do that. Or, um, you know, these things that we, we, we have to guard against them. We have to guard against apathy. When we see opportunity to serve, we have to jump in there. COVID was this weird disruption where we couldn't gather together or be in people's homes the same way. And while many were doing driveway visits and phone calls and Zoom calls and online Bible studies and cooking meals together and so many more things, many people just left entirely and cut themselves off from one another. And as we're further on the other side of the worst of things, we have to be extra vigilant to love one another, to build into each other's lives, because it is vital and it is a command for the Christian to be involved in the life of their brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you, God, for your salvation, for the gospel, the fact that Jesus, you sent your son, or God, you sent your son Jesus to, to live on this earth and live a perfect life And to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. In our place, he paid the punishment that we deserved for our faithlessness. And as a free gift, you've offered that salvation to everyone. Knowing that nobody is perfect and you don't even expect us to be perfect. And so you sent Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You've come and and, and you give us counsel and sanctification and you work us towards being more like Jesus. God, this is no small thing. We thank you for this. We thank you that as part of this salvation we have, we get to be called the family of God. Sons and daughters of the living King. This is incredible. And God, at SVBC, we get to gather and we get to share your great love with one another. Living this out by loving each other and being part of each other's lives. We get to come together on a Sunday morning. We get to celebrate. We get to worship you. We get to do communion together. We get to honor our graduates and celebrate what you've been doing in their lives and how far you've brought them and and encourage them as they go forward. This is incredible, God. And we do not take this lightly or for granted. And grads, God, we thank you for them. We pray for protection for them as they move into the next stage of uh, of, of their journey. We pray for protection against worldly philosophies. We pray for protection against ideas uh, that are are not rooted in truth, but instead they're rooted in lies lies and, and, and things that would deceive them away from being part of your family. God, would you give them strength? And would you help them and help all of us, God, to just grow and do better in this area of being part of a family of believers. Give us a heart for one another and help our love for one another be our apologetic to the world. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.